Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good to see you. I hope you had a great 4th of July and um, you ate as much sugar as I did. My goodness, I tell you what, if I'm a little foggy today, I ate way too much cobbler of the weekend. My sister-in-law makes this amazing apple, blueberry cobbler. I think, I don't know what happened on the 4th, but I remember having like two hamburgers, two brats, uh, two pieces of, three pieces of strawberry pie, uh, apple with like four scoops of ice. I'm not kidding you not, this is in one day. And so I'm still like, I'm still coming off the end of this uh, hang, sugar hangover and whoo, I'm a little foggy because of it. But I hope you had a good one and enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, again, looks like a lot of you still have your fingers, which is good. You light up fireworks and what a great time. But we are in this series. If you haven't been here over the summer, we've been in this series called The Good and Beautiful Community. We've been kind of doing this trilogy where we did The Good and Beautiful God. We did The Good and Beautiful Life. And now we're working together as a community. And we've been working around this premise that says this. So often, we believe that our relationship with God is a personal relationship with God. And the truth is, that is true. It is a personal relationship with God. But so often, we make it out to be that it's just about God and me, and I don't really need a community around me. And the truth is, is you can't do it without people around you. And we've been saying this, that a personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. That you can't make it as a Christian. You can't make it in life unless you have people surrounding you, loving you, caring for you, and getting you on the right track. The truth is, when we're in this relationship with God, we often we often find ourselves getting off track. We get off the bandwagon and we make mistakes and it's hard to come back. And it's hard to come back, right? We're afraid. We don't really want to talk to God. We don't want to come back to do this thing. But the truth is, is when you have people around you, loving you, caring for you and helping you, it becomes a lot easier and we think this is important. And so we've been discovering a lot of ideas, a lot of things together as a community. And so we've got this week and next week. We only got two weeks left in this series. And then we have a couple guest speakers, which we're looking forward to. Uh, you won't want to miss those weeks. Would you pray for me this morning? Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about a generous community. And I know you're like, oh goodness, here comes the money talk. No, it's not the money talk, but just hang with me. We're going to be talking about the generous community. Would you pray for me this morning? Lord, we do give thanks for this time. We do give thanks for this opportunity to worship you. We just thank you that, that the creator of this world would join us in this moment, and that you would be present with us. We thank you for that pray that your spirit and your power would be upon us, and I pray that this time of teaching would enlighten us and would help us to be better followers of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things I love about being a pastor is I get to hear uh, differences in stories, and usually there are vast differences in people's stories. And so I wanted to share a couple of stories with you, and you'll be wondering where are we going with this, but we'll tie it all together. And, and one of the stories I wanted to start with is about my uncle. You know, we always talk about those uncles, you know, those uncles that, you, you know, answer uncles that... You just don't want to claim in your family. Well, this uncle is one of those uncles that you want to claim, that you actually like and you want around. And his name is Dale. We love Dale, and he's just kind of funny. But he's also very frugal. Some of them, people would say that he's cheap. 
He's very cheap, but I would say that he's frugal. And one of the, my favorite stories about Dale that uh, a pastor told me, not necessarily that he told me, but another pastor told me, was that uh, Dale is a great pumpkin pie maker. He makes the best pumpkin pie in the world, and um, he makes it from scratch. And so during Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving time, uh, right after Halloween, he would make up his own pumpkin pies, and he would bring them into the staff, and they would eat his fresh pumpkin pie. And so this, this pastor was telling me, we're sitting there, and we're eating, we're eating this pumpkin pie, and the head pastor, or the lead pastor, who is enjoying his pumpkin pie, um, and again, he's very refined, very professional, well put together, and, you know, um, not one person that you would want to gross out or anything like that. But um, he, he says to Dale, Dale, this is the best pie I've had in my life. Where did you get this recipe? Where did you make, how do you make this? Could, could you enlighten us? And uh, Dale says, I'm so glad you asked that question. That's kind of an interesting question. Um, well, the pie that you're eating, the, the piece that you're eating actually came from our, our neighbors, the Schaefer's. And um, that pie over there came from two doors down, the neighbor's two doors down. And, and that third pie over there came from the neighbor's on, on the corner. And the pastor looks up at him and says, what do you mean this, this pie came from the Schaefer's? He said, well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. That's interesting you asked that question. You know, um, I don't want to be rude and I don't want to walk up on people's porches after Halloween and just steal their pumpkins off their porches. That would, that would be rude. And so what I do is I just wait till they, they throw them away and then I go and collect them. And the pastor who's eating his pie and has a mouthful says, what do you, what do you mean by throw them away? Well, you know, they, they put them in the dumpster, they put them in the garbage, and at night when nobody's looking, I go around and I get in their garbage and I take their pumpkins out of their trash. And you could just see it on the pastor's face who was like, again, you know, very well put together. Very, he starts to spit the pie out with the thought that this pumpkin pie, which was once the amazing, most amazing pie in the world suddenly became the most disgusting pie in the world, and he's spitting it out. And, and I just think it's funny that if you meet Dale, you would think it's funny that he would never spend 77 cents on a can of, of pumpkin pie. Rather, he would rather go out and jump in people's trash and pull out the pumpkins there. And then I've sat across some people who are completely different. We were staying at some gracious people's house, and uh, they were hosting us, and they were also hosting a doctor that night. And the next morning, we get up, and we have breakfast together, and we're sitting there. And I don't know how it came up. We're sitting on our coffee or tea, whatever we were drinking, and we're sitting around the table. And all of a sudden, we were talking about our jobs and what we do, and because we hadn't been around each other in like 10 years. And, and all of a sudden, something about salaries came up. Now, this doctor is in the middle of talking, and I'm in the middle of sipping my coffee when he says, yeah, I save about 25 a month. And I, I look at him, and I'm like, your doctor, like $25? No, 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 no. Okay, $2,500? No. No, he says, I save about, I save, not spend, I save about $25,000 a month. And I literally spit my coffee out, and I didn't mean to say this, but I just said, I'm like, dude, you make, you save more in one month than I almost make in an entire year. And I got to be honest, just sitting there listening to him talk about how much he's saving made me a little jealous. Come on, you've been around these people when they, when they, they let you know how much they have. There's a little bit of jealousy that I want what they have. Why can't I have what he has? I want what he wants right? He's got a nice house, got a nice car, lives in Chicago. I mean, it's a beautiful life. And, and I, you sit there and you begin to think, is, is God not blessing me? Am I not doing the right things? Am I not good enough? Is there a reason why I can't have $25,000 that I get to save every month? And I end up wanting what he wants. 
And I would say this, that so often, you talk about those vast different stories, when we get together as a church, when we gather as a community, there's no disguising it, but there are people who lack and there are people who have a lot. There are people who lack and there are people who have a lot. And so often when we're in the community, uh, it's almost like those who lack will look at those who have a lot and they'll want what they have. Or those who have a lot will look at those who lack and they'll, you know, say, well, you know, I, I wish you could have what I have or maybe one day you'll get it together. And, and we all sort of have this tension as, as a community when we gather that there is a gap between those who lack and those who have a lot. But I want you to understand this this morning. And this is so important to where we're headed Because whether you have a lot or you have a little, it doesn't really matter when it comes to the story of God. And that's what he's teaching this community. And here's why. We are defined by the same problem, yet united in the same solution. We are defined by the same problem, yet united in the same solution. And I know you're asking me, what's the problem and what's the solution? And we're going to get there in just a second, especially when it comes to this generous Community, But I want to show you a story today about a community who was defined by and who was shaped by this idea of want. I want what they have. We want what they have. And it became a problem for them. And so Moses tells us, Moses is the writer of this story. He's leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And he comes across this major issue where there's dissension, there's disunity, where people are upset and they're frustrated. And so he tells us because this is a problem for the people. And this is a problem that you and I face. Again, doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little. This is all something we struggle with. And so he begins the story, and I love the story, and some of you have heard this story, so I'll do my best to tell it in a way um, that you would appreciate, but here we go. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Milan and came to the desert of sin. Now, I don't know what that means in Hebrew. I don't really care. I just find it ironic that in English, it literally means the desert of sin. I don't know. I just think that's kind of funny, and you'll see why. Which is between Elim and Sinai. And he continues, on the 15th day of the second month, after they'd come out of Egypt, uh, just again, a reminder that you've come out of slavery. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, if you had your Bibles in front of you in Exodus 16, I'd love for you to circle that word grumbled. And here's why. When we think of people that grumble, often we think of people who are kind of muttering under their breath or they're kind of in a corner and they're talking with somebody else quietly about something. But it's so interesting that Moses begins to unpack this for us. And if we look at what he has to say in the original language, it comes across as grumble literally means a disconnect in the relationship. So Moses isn't saying they're over there complaining. He's saying there's a disconnect in the relationship. And you're saying a disconnect in what relationship? A disconnect with Moses, a disconnect with Aaron, a disconnect with God, a disconnect with each other. Where is the disconnect? And the answer to that is, yes, it's all of them. There's a disconnect in all of them. And so this morning, we should be asking the question, where does that disconnect start? See, there's always a a starting point for disconnect. There's always a starting point for dissension. There's always a starting point for disunity. And we find that this community called Israel was shaped and, and was molded and was formed into the community it was never meant to be by where they just came from. 
And so you can see that in their life there was this Egyptian influence. There was Egyptian influence. And if you don't know anything about Egypt or the Egyptians during this time, they were like modern-day America. They were wealthy. They had lots of money. People looked up to them. People borrowed from them. If you needed help, this is the, the nation that you came to. And I don't know if you know this, but these were a group of people that were defined. Now check it out. They were defined by what they wanted. If they wanted your land, if they wanted your territory, if they wanted your home, if they wanted your wives, they didn't care who they killed, who they ran over, who they hurt, who they enslaved. They were on a path to get what they wanted. They were not about preserving peace. They were not about preserving people. They were about preserving what they wanted over time. And what's so interesting is when God calls this community Israel and he calls them out and he says, there's something different about you in a world where you're defined by want, where you're defined by what we want. He says, you are going to be defined by something different. I want you to be a blessing to the entire world. In other words, I want you to be generous to the world, which will be completely different from anything this world has ever seen. But you can sense it that over time, over time, as they're enslaved and they're making bricks and they're, they're constantly beaten, the Egyptians kind of take over them. They kind of look up to them as, yes, this is, this is the life that we want. We want this. We want to have as much as we could possibly have. And instead of being the community that God has called them to, slowly and over time they became something other than what he intended for them. And they had lost the vision for what God wanted them to be as a community. And there was dissension and there was disconnect. And people were upset, and they were unhappy. And so Moses continues in the story. I love it. He says, he says, the Israelites said to them, speaking about Moses and Aaron, he said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. He says, there, yeah, there where we were enslaved, there where we were molded and shaped into something other than what God created us to be. He says, there we sat around pots of meat. And they continue. And we ate all the food we wanted. We ate all the food that we wanted. Kind of like 4th of July. You just eat all the food that you want. But you have brought us, and they're talking to Moses now, they're talking to Aaron, they're really frustrated. They says, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You've brought us into the desert to starve. And you can see the problem. They announce it for all to hear. The problem is, is that we don't have what we Want. And I love how they say all that we wanted, because when we hear that, we think that it's about a quantity. But the statement is not about quantity. It is a question of where. That's right. We wanted is not, it's not a question of quantity. It's not really about the amount. It's a question of where. Where is our provision coming from? And when you begin to peel back these words we wanted, it actually means contentment or satisfaction. That our contentment and our satisfaction, everything that we wanted is rooted, is rooted in Egypt. Mm. Our satisfaction, our contentment in life, our hope for life is now being provided by a system and not a God who claims to be a savior. 
Anybody else see this as problematic? That so often, this community wants to go to a hand that will provide them, and they don't even mind that they are enslaved to that hand. They buy into it. They buy into this mantra. We can have all that we want, even though we aren't free. And if we're just honest, for this is something that you and I struggle with. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. We struggle with what we want. All that we want. All that we want. We struggle with this. And so often when we gather as a community and even in our own individual lives, we are constantly asking, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? When we see other people saving $25,000 a month and driving expensive, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. When we come into this place as a church, as a community, we will often say, this is what we want. This is what we want. This is what we want. And the question that I want you to ask is this. Whenever you find yourself asking or saying, this is what I want, you should ask this. Where does this want come from? Where does this want come from? And here's why I beg you to ask it. Have you ever just woken up one morning and you were just angry? Am I, the, am I the only one that does this? Like sometimes you just get up and you're just upset. You're not happy about anything in life. You're just upset. Sometimes you get up and you're upset and, and you really don't know why you're upset. But then when you start asking the question, where does this anger come from, right? You've had this people come up to you. Are you angry? Are you upset? And you're like, would you quit asking me that? I know I'm upset. I don't know why I'm upset. But just would you just get out of my face? Because the more you ask me, the more angry I'm going to get. Come on, you've, you've done this. Um, and it's really annoying when people ask you, are you okay? Is there a problem? But when you sit down and you begin to think, where does this anger come from? Where does this anger come from? Suddenly you begin to see, well, I'm angry because I'm tired. And I'm tired because I've worked all week and I've met with a bunch of people this week and I've had a lot of appointments this week. And the truth is, it's not about the fact that I've met with people and it's not about the fact that I'm tired. The reason I'm angry is because I've missed a lot of time with my family. I've missed dinners. I've missed soccer games. I've missed you name it. And at the heart of it and at the root of it is something more than just what lies up front. I'm angry because there was something more going on there. And I would say this, whenever you find yourself saying what I want or what we want is, you should ask, where does that want come from? Because you should be asking, is this what I want or is this what God wants? And so you begin to see that, that Moses is now leading and moving this community out into the desert. And he's trying to reshape them and reform them from this idea of getting what we want to something else. And so there's this beautiful story that he continues to tell that helps us understand it. And here's what he says. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out. The people are to go out. And each day they will gather enough, enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. He continues, on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. I love the beginning of this, this idea of he will test them to see if it is enough. How many of you have been on Craigslist before? Anybody bought anything on Craigslist? Car, uh, mower, um, dishwasher, I mean, washer, I, whatever it is, any 
Okay, I'm the only one that's bought stuff on Craigslist before, but that's all right. Um, when you go out there, uh, it is a risky endeavor. Come on, you've bought stuff on Craigslist. You know that it's a risky endeavor. And here's why. You've got a description that's given. You've got pictures that are given. But you know that they're the seller, right? And it's their job to sell you on whatever they're selling. It doesn't matter how pretty they have to doctor up the pictures or how great they have to make the advertisement. It's their job to sell you on whatever they're selling. And whenever we go out to, to see the car or to see whatever we're about to buy, whenever we go out to do that, we, we quickly begin to question, right? There's this question of, are they going to, is it going to be what they said it would be? Is the product going to be exactly the way they described it? Is it going to look like? Is it going to feel like? Is it going to work like exactly how they've described it? And so often we feel like it's this test of trusting that person on whether it's going to be what they said it was. And it's almost like, I don't know if this is an actual term, but we're going to make it up. It's almost like God is Craigslisting the Israelites. Come on, that's a new word. We can make that. I like that. Craigslisting the Israelites. God says, I'm going to test you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you just enough. And I'm going to see if you're skeptical or if you're confident. And I love this word, enough. I love this word, enough, because God is moving us into the art of enough. And when you peel back and you begin to move into this idea of enough, it actually isn't about the amount. See, we hear the amount again, right? We had all that we wanted. Is it going to be enough? And we would think that it's about the amount. But what God is testing them in, and when you peel back the word enough, it actually means to communicate. It actually means what is said. In other words, are we going to trust the amount or are we going to trust what's coming out of God's mouth? And this is the test. Are we going to trust that God will say what he said he's going to do? You see, we've trusted in people who have given us all this meat and all this soup and all this stew. And all of a sudden you're going to move us into the desert. And now we're just supposed to trust somebody's word that they're going to provide for us. Will it be enough? And so Moses finishes the story for us. I love it. He says, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Some of you know this. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frosted flakes. I like that, frosted flakes. On the ground appeared on the desert floor. He continues. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread of the Lord that he has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person and put it in your tent. And then he continues. The Israelites did as they were told, and some gathered much, and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, now it's interesting that he says that, and when they measured it by the omer, in other words, when they did it according to God's standard. Omer is just a nice measurement, but 
what Moses is really wanting to say is when they did it according to God's standard and not what they wanted, there was a complete difference in how the community acted towards each other. It says, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. In other words, when we do it according to God's standard, everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. You can see that in this community, something is beginning to change. When they trust and they have confidence in the God that says that he will provide, something begins to change among the community. And when I hear this text and when I read this story, it reminds me of my boys. I, you know, I, I, it just reminds me of my kids. My kids, I make these um, peanut butter and jelly protein shakes. And it's not just peanut butter and jelly thrown into a shake. Uh, that would be really disgusting. But uh, it's got bananas, it's got blueberries, it's got peanut butter. And I mean, it's really good for them. And I often wonder, what would happen if I just let them make their own shakes? If I said in the morning, here's the ingredients, you go get them out of the freezer, you put them in the, and we have like a big old cup with an immersion stick that stirs it all up. You guys go ahead and do that. My guess is it would explode all over the floor, there'd be fruit everywhere, and I often wonder, who would get the most? If I were just to let my kids make it, and if I were just to let my kids pour it, there's a good chance that one of the kids wouldn't get a single drop of that. It is good, let me tell you. It tastes like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich minus the bread. Um, but my guess is if I let them do their own thing, they would put in what they wanted. But what's so interesting is when, when I do it and when I make it for them, they, they come up to the counter and they put their noses on the counter right in front of their glass and they just stare at the glass and they watch me pour into each glass. And you know, I do my best to get it right. I do my best to make sure they're even and equal, but I'm really imperfect and so often I get it wrong. And what's so interesting that I find, and this really, this really is an act of grace when it comes to these protein shakes for the kids. It's, it's so interesting. Um, when I get done pouring it, each of them holds it in their hands, and then they look down at it as if, like, to make sure it's equal. Yeah, is this, did I get as much as my brother? No, it's interesting, they don't do that. They only look at their cup. They don't look at, Miles doesn't look at Carter's cup, and Carter doesn't look at his cup. They just look at their own cup. And what's interesting is, it's almost as if they trust me enough to know that I will give them exactly what they need. And they know that it's not exactly the same amount. They know that it's not exactly perfect. But for them, it's okay. Because they know that I've given them exactly what they've needed, and they trust me in that. And so it is a moment of grace, because they don't argue about who got more, or who got less, or who's is bigger, or who's is smaller, and they don't take from each other or stick each other's straws in each other's drinks and start stealing from each other. They don't do that. They just know that it's enough for them. And it's really this give and take, give and take, give and take. And what's so interesting about what God is now doing within this community is that they go from being a we want kind of people to a generous kind of people. See, when God is generous, they become generous. When God is generous to us, we become a generous community. 
And I think that is so important. And part of God's generous community is this idea of give and take. And I like to use the word frugal. I like to use the word frugal. When you think of frugal people, they're not necessarily cheap, but they're also not the richest people either. But typically, frugal people have exactly what they need. Right? And, and they don't mind giving, and they don't mind taking, but they will always have exactly what they need. And this is exactly it. When we listen to the story, when we listen to the scripture, there are people who gathered much that then share according to God's standard with those who have little, and those who have little will have all their needs met. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And when we live by this frugal idea, all of a sudden this creates margin in our life for us to be generous. See, I often think that when we are overly rich or we are underly poor, however you want to say it, at times it feels like it's difficult for us to be generous. But when we live according to what we need, and again, our needs are different, and that's why everybody is provided for differently. Um, when, we, when we live by what we need and we live on what God provides for us, it is easier for us to be generous. When we recognize that God is generous to us, we become generous people. And my question that I want to ask you is, are you frugal enough in your life that you have enough space, that you have enough margin, that you can be generous, not just in money, but to other people as well? Are you a generous person? Do you believe that God has given you so much and has provided so much for you that you are generous? And the question I want to ask for us as a church is, do we believe that God has provided so much for us that we are a generous community? I know we don't like talking about generosity because it's so difficult, but it is a game changer. Because we're no longer geared around this idea of what we want, but what everyone wants and what everybody needs. And we're interested in contributing to the community and not just in ourselves. And so I would ask you, are you frugal? Do you have enough margin in your life that you can be generous to other people? I do find it interesting that at the end of this story, Moses tells us something important about generosity. Here's what he says. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like, white, like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. And then this is the most important part. He says, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come. Continues. So they can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of slavery. In other words, put this in a cup so you can be reminded of what it's like to live on God's provision and that this God will provide for you and that you no longer have to be enslaved to the idea that we will always fulfill our own wants. And when I am generous to you, I want you to hold that up in front of the generations to come to let you know that I am God and you are not. That I am God and the systems that you trust in are not. And I would say this, when we become generous people, when we are generous to each other, when we serve, when we care and we love, 
our generosity outlasts this generation and becomes provision for the next generation. When we're generous, it will always outlast this generation and it uh, serves as provision for the next generation. And it's almost like God will hold up your generosity before all people as a way of saying, you can trust. You can trust in me. You can know that I will always provide for you and that God has a vision, he has a, he has a purpose, he has a plan, and as long as we are generous people, he will continue to use us in amazing ways. You can trust in this God. So here's, here's the challenge for you. Here's the challenge for me. How will we be generous with our time? I know that for many of us, we, we live paycheck to paycheck. I know that for many of us, we struggle to even save two cents. I couldn't even imagine $25,000. Where do you need to be frugal in your life in order to create margin, to be generous, to give and to help out? In your life, where do you need margin in, in order to serve and to help and to lead and to guide? We, we had a leader service this morning, and, and when I was talking to them, I was thanking them for being generous people because they are giving up what they want in order to serve little kids and to serve people and to shape lives into God's image and to change them. What do you need to give up? Where do you need to create margin in your life in order to be generous? It's not always about money but it's about how much you will love other people. This community will cease to exist without generous people. God's future for this church will cease to exist without people stepping up and saying, I will be generous with my time, with my leadership abilities and my skills. This community will cease to exist there will always be disconnect. There will always be disconnect in the relationship. There will always be disunity. And we will not be a movement as long as we aren't generous with what God has given us. And so this is a simple question for you. Am I generous? Can I create more margin in my life? Where does that need to happen? Only you and God can have that conversation. I can't tell you where, but that's up to you. And so that's my prayer for you this week. When you walk out, maybe just ask that question. God, am I generous? You've given to me. Am I giving back? That's where I want to leave you this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks for this time together. We thank you that you teach us it's not about what we want, but it's about what you want. And we know that life is so much better when we follow you and we live into what you have for us. And I know that so often when it comes to being generous, it feels like we're giving so much away and it's such a struggle and it's so hard and it's so painful and we feel like we're not gonna get back what we give away and, and it's, it can be scary and it can be tense, but I would pray that you would give us confidence that what you give is enough, that your word, that your life is enough for us and that we can trust you with everything that you have given to us. I pray that you would make us generous. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would push us and nudge us and talk to us and 
Let us know ways that we can be more generous with our time, with our lives, with our finances, and with our hearts. And it's in your name we pray.